Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I show entrepreneurs how to turn their businesses into agents for lasting change, global impact, and a force for good in the world. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. I'm excited to announce the Fierce Women Forum, a special event where nine remarkable leaders and I will talk about what it means to be fierce, the reactions we receive as women and people perceived as women, and how we can support each other to be fierce when it's needed. If you've ever been told you're too much or silenced yourself because you were afraid of how you'd be perceived, the Fierce Women Forum is for you. To learn more about the forum and the outstanding leaders I'll be in conversation with, and to register, go to workalchemy.com forward slash FWF, as in Fierce Women Forum. The Fierce Women Forum begins on July 15th, so be sure to bookmark that site right now and go there right after this episode. Even if you're listening to this after July 15th, you can still register and receive the recording. Please join us. Today's guest on the podcast is Ken Rusk. Ken is a blue-collar construction entrepreneur and founder of Rusk Industries. He's made it his mission to hire, train, and coach first-time job seekers, particularly those like himself who don't have college degrees. He believes that anyone can realize their dreams and live a comfortable life regardless of their educational background or past. Welcome to the podcast, Ken. I'm delighted to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So um, my parents were actually both blue-collar workers and uh, due to circumstances, but they didn't have even high school educations, but they were very keen that my brother and I both go to college, which we did. And I've always thought for my mother, in any case, it was sad that she didn't have the career she would have wanted and flourished in. But you've really shown people another way of approaching work. And I, I really was very avidly interested as I read the book. Um, can you, are you talking mostly about trades when you're talking about blue collar work or is it, is it really wide ranging? Cause your own company is, is a mix of tradespeople and not. Well, yes. I mean, if, if you look at today, I, I think there's probably about 165 million people that are typically in the workforce and at any one time, you could peg about 65 million of those as some form of blue-collar work um, where you're working with your hands, either whether you're producing something or crafting something or building or making something or fixing or repairing something or what have you. Um, so, yeah, there, it, it is wide-ranging. I, I think there's probably more supply and demand issues with trade than there is with some of the other ones, but... Mm-hmm. Um, by and large, if you're working with your hands, that's, uh, that's where it's at. Yeah. Well, I, I was really shocked to read that the median earnings for recent college grads, even adjusted for inflation, was the same in 2018 as in 1990. And so even allowing, even taking into consideration the, the earning potential um, and the, the debt that a lot of students go into, it's, um, it was so interesting to hear that perspective because most jobs, you, you quoted 80% of jobs don't require 
college degrees, even at places like Apple, where they've got 50% of folks without college degrees. Tell us some more about that in terms of what you see as the, the benefits of blue collar not even being financial, which I think is the one people sort of default to. Well, one of the things I think that is right off the bat is, is what I call the four-year head start. You know, if, if you're talking about um, putting yourself in position to um, build the, the life that you see, the life that you vision, or the life that, that you really want, um, if you think about spending four years in a craft or in a trade, you know, they talk about, you know, in the book called The Outliers, they talk about it's, it's eight to 10,000 hours to master almost anything. And right. I, I just think it's really interesting um, when, you, when you think about taking those same, you know, 8,000 hours, which is basically 40 hour work weeks times four years, and you advance yourself into your life already where you start to think about saving for a house, you start to think about earning money versus spending money in school, you start to think about investing um, early on. Uh, I just think that, that from a pure time standpoint, you have a, a, a head start over someone that goes to college. And, and I, I, always, mm -hmm. I always tell um, anyone that I talk to about this subject, about this particular thing, I'm definitely not an anti-college guy. I am an anti-college is for everyone guy. Right. Um, if, if you're going to operate on my knee <laughs> so I can go golf, or if you're going to um, manage our money, or if you're going to teach somebody something, I would want you to know all that there is to know about those particular subjects. Sure. Um, but, but in this case, um, I just don't think that college can be or should be for everyone. It never has been. Why all of a sudden it is now is something that's, that's interesting. Um, when you talk about supply and demand trends and you talk about college's influence over high school kids over the last 20 years, as, yeah. as this is the only way to go. Um, and that's just nothing could be further from the truth there. Yeah. Well, and demand is so much higher in, in blue collar um, jobs than it is in white collar. So it's, it's not a good argument from an economic point of view that everybody should go to college. I, I really appreciate your perspective. You, you're really passionate um, that skilled labor and blue collar jobs are not looked down on. And, and you kind of self-deprecatingly call yourself a hole digger a few times in your book. What role do you yeah. Think, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> what role do you think pride plays when people choose college over blue collar work, even if they're not at all drawn to it? And, and they're in the realm, they're kind of in the soup of how society still sees blue collar jobs. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story. I, I remember um, a, a couple of years ago, as I was just starting to write this book, that um, I had to rent a car. And the reason I had to rent it is because the car that I had was, it was needing some major repairs and it was going to be a couple of weeks. And so I went to the car rental place and I rented this car. And behind the desk was this gentleman who was probably 23 years old. And, you know, he had his suit on and he was trying to do his best customer service. And I could just tell that this wasn't really in it for him. And um, I asked him, I said, tell me a little bit about you. And I'll never forget, he, he said, well, you know, I went to school and uh, I, I spent four years there and I was kind of partying my way through it. And I was kind of learning and I didn't really have a specific thing I wanted to learn. So I just did my general business degree and he goes, it's, it's a shame because I racked up like $68,000 in debt 
yeah. here I am at this car rental place making about 30 grand. And he goes, I don't know how, how long it's going to take me to pay this off. And, um, you know, the thing of it is my parents wanted me to go to school and my high school teachers wanted me to go to school and whatever. And yet I really wanted to be a carpenter. And I think I should have done that. I, I almost think I was sold a bill of goods. And, and I agreed with him because if that is your passion, that's, that's something that you should definitely take advantage of. And, uh, you know, one of the things that people don't quite understand about working in, in blue collar work is what I call, you know, the stand back moment. And, and that is where you're, let's say you're, you're building a beautiful outdoor kitchen or you're landscaping a yard or you're framing a house or, whatever it might be you're doing, you know, you get at the end of the day, you get that stand back moment where you, you lean on that shovel or you put down your hammer and you, you take five steps backwards and you look back at what you've done. And there is an enormous sense of pride that you created something, something mm -hmm. that will last a long time. And I think that's, that's something that is probably a little more unique to blue collar work than it is an office job. And again, I, 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 I'm not knocking an office job. If you love what you do, do it. Um, but there is this opportunity to have that, that prideful stand back moment in blue collar work that I think is kind of unique and, and positive. Yeah. Well, it's not often in, a, in an office job that you get to see the outcome of what you do. So I, right. I know when I've, I've done home renovation projects or built a deck or something, there's something extremely gratifying that my, my usual work didn't have in the same way. So. Yeah, I get what you mean. Well, I'm 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 57 years old, and I'm I'm still at it. I I, I was uh, I grew up being a landscaper when I very first started working in a nursery, and then I went into the foundation, the ditch digging business for, which is what I still do today. But um, it's not out of my blood yet. I over the weekend I planted <laughs> about 16 birch trees in my backyard, and there were several standback moments where I leaned on my shovel and said, "Wow, that's beautiful." And I I just think that's a unique thing that blue collar uh, work offers people. Yeah. Well, it's something else you said in the book that I thought was really great, which is um, defining your life or your life's happiness by what you do with what you do for a living versus what you actually do. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I, I, I've always said that if, you know, what, what are we really after? I mean, you know, the more I live and the more I work and the more I create businesses and, and you know, in some cases, you know, you can, you can talk about chasing dollars or whatever, however you want to call it. The more I understand that, you know, your perfect vision for who you are and your best planned life is really the goal. And, and I define it by comfort, peace and freedom. Um, but yeah, if, if I have the ability to, to plan a life the way I want to see it happen and, and make that work, it doesn't matter what level that, that ends up being. I've said this before. I know some people that are very successful that are miserable. Mm -hmm. And I also know some people that lead these awesome, you know, normal lives where, you know, they, they don't have a whole lot of debt. They, they have a lot of freedom to do the things they want to do. They don't stress a whole lot. And, and they've set their sights on a life that they want. And um, they, they have this sense of, of, of comfort and peace and freedom, almost a calm about them. And it's just a really admirable thing to see somebody place themselves in a spot where, okay, my world is good right here. 
I really like the way this feels. And um, now I'm going to look around and take advantage of everything that um, this world has to offer. Yeah. Well, that young man in the uh, car rental place, and you know, he's only 23. He could have that and, and still become a carpenter. So that, sure. that's where I... That's where I think that one of the great gifts of the book is that you share uh, several things that with young people who might not otherwise be exposed to skills like goal setting and life visualization and financial planning. And what do you think is the most important of those? Of, of those? those are the three things that really stood out for me, but there, there are others as well. Well, yeah, they're all important in their own right. But I, I, I think the most important thing you can do is, is visualize it. You know, one of the things that we do in our office here, which is, it's kind of a silly thing, but it's a very serious thing at the same time. When we have um, a, a new hire come on, um, a lot of times we'll ask, well, why are you here? And, you know, we'll get the same response. Well, I need a job. Okay, a job right. for what? Well, I need, to, I need to make some money. Okay, money for what? Well, I need to pay my bills. Okay. Well, tell us about that. What's that look like? Well, I've got this car that I need to fix or I, whatever it might be, a visa that I want to pay off or whatever. Okay. So let's assume all that's done. Now, what do you want? And then we get out a, a, a large white cardboard piece of paper and some crayons. We get a box of 64 Crayola crayons and we hand it to them. We say, draw what you want your life to look like. And, and get as specific as you possibly can. Are you a house person or a condo person or an apartment in the city person? You want to live in the country? Do you want to live in a suburb? Um, are you a, a car person or a, a minivan person or a pickup truck or a scooter or a bus rider? I mean, get specific on how you see your best life playing out in front of you. I'm, are you a dog or a cat owner? And if so, what kind of dog or cat and what would you name it? And, and we tell them to get really, really specific. What are your hobbies? What, um, what would you do spiritually and, and motivationally and, and physically? And the more they begin to draw that picture, the more they, they, they begin to see that they are more in control of what their life looks like than what they think. And that's why I say sometimes in order to gain that picture, it's not so important what you do for a living as it is what you do with what you do for a living. Mm -hmm. So to circle back to your earlier question, that's the power in that. I, I think the ability to, to live a life of anticipation and to see down the road, to know what the path looks like before you start walking it, I, I think that's the most powerful thing. You know, they talk about the laws of attraction and what you think about you tend to attract. I, I think that's just a really powerful tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Well, we're seeing evidence of uh, racial disparity and um, highlighted right now and, and people taking more action to shift that. Do you see this issue and I, also about a gender bias? Do you see that shifting in blue collar jobs? You know, I, I have to tell you, I, I had the, the pleasure of interviewing um, five different gals over the last month. Uh, one's a welder who wasn't planning on being a welder. One is uh, owns her own dump truck uh, gravel business. Uh, one uh, owns her own bakery and wasn't planning on doing that. <clears throat> and one of them is a, uh, uh, a YouTube influencer. And I, 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 got, I, I take my hat off to all, all these women because they, they just found a way to find something that 
was interesting to them and they, they, they didn't see any, any walls or any limitations. They didn't see, um, well, that's a guy's business. They didn't see any of that stuff. And they just went for it and they put themselves in position to be very successful. And, you know, a couple of them are in the book and um, a couple of them uh, were working on uh, trying to get uh, a group of them together to maybe do a webinar or something on, on that particular issue. But what, what, they, what they highlight is that it, none of that matters. If you can find an opportunity and if you can find something that you like and that's something that interests you um, or that you can be good at, uh, this, this is a no, there's no hold barred in this world, I, I don't think. Um, and I get to hire a lot of people. I've hired a couple thousand people in my day. And um, I, I don't really believe that, uh, that if, if you're taught right and you're led right, I don't think there's any limitations. Well, in your book, you talk about uh, the role of initiative in blue collar cash. And you tell the story of Arthur Hills, who was, um, he went from being a, greenhouse worker, I think, to uh, a golf course designer. Do, do you think, I mean, this was in the 30s and, and uh, later, do you think that Art's story could be replicated today with people looking for qualifications and experience? Because he basically just said, hey, I'm a golf designer now. Um, what do you think? Do you think things have shifted or that's still possible? Well, you know, I know that with regulations, some things may be a little more tricky than they used to be, but, you know, he designed his first golf course, I think somewhere in the 60s or 70s, and he did it by simply taking an ad out in the newspaper. And, you know, could that happen in today's world? They'd probably want a few more credentials before you started designing a golf right. course. But yeah. I still love the initiative. I still love the entrepreneurial spirit of that because, Let's take, for example, um, the gal that uh, started the, the dump truck business. She, she was just going in on weekends, helping out a friend and, and some family members doing some, some accounting. And the more that she did that, the more she recognized opportunities, the more she saw the possibility that she could build a business around those opportunities. And then she, she just kept going for it. And there it was. It showed itself to her and she took it. And now she's got, I think I counted 12 dump trucks and they're running all day long every day and she's making good money and um, she's providing a, a service that is earth friendly to, uh, to, the, to my town here. And um, it's, just, it's just really admirable. The same thing goes with, with you know, the YouTube influencer, which as you know, the, some people might think of the internet as the wild west. And um, there's, if you remember in the old days of the wild west, you'd go out and stake your claim. Well, that's kind of what this gal's doing. She, she just, she put herself out there as someone who advocates for younger gals. And, um, she does all kinds of different things to help teach younger gals, um, how to better themselves and how to avoid pitfalls. She just staked a claim and now she's got 2 million followers and it's, it's unbelievable what she's created the business wise. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, there's um, a lot of kind of discontent, I think, in recent years where people say you can't reach the financial and other goals uh, because manufacturing has left the country and a list of other reasons why they can't. What would you say to that? 
I would say keep looking. You know, I, I always hear that manufacturing has left the country and therefore blue collar jobs with it. Manufacturing right. only ever accounted for about one fifth of the total blue collar jobs in the United States. It just seemed to be this bellwether that was really easy for people in the in the uh, in the news business to just kind of like, okay, well, factory jobs are leaving, so there goes our blue color. That that's really not true at all. Um, now, obviously, with some of the policies that our government's trying to put in to reintroduce manufacturing into the United States, which, you know, myself personally, I'd like to see us build our own antibiotics in the United States. <laughs> I'd like to see us build more of our own deal in the United States and, and, and do a little less importing where, where people have too much control over us. I think that's, that's always something we need to be concerned about. But no, I, I think if you look around, the pendulum went from, you know, one third to maybe 40% of kids in, in my high school were going to college and 60% of the rest of us were going into a trade or a skill or something, maybe a family business or something like that. That pendulum swung so far um, towards if you don't go to college, that's it. You'll never amount to anything. That the the shortage of blue-collar workers, the amount of, um, of blue-collar workers that are retiring and not being backfilled by younger new replacements is causing this huge supply and demand issue, which, you know, like anything else, I mean, if if nobody's doing it, that's where you should probably go because that's mm -hmm. where the money is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really liked how you talk about people not being a powerless victim. And um, uh, that's really what sparked my interest in that was you're talking about uh, things like taking initiative or finding a way. And uh, really the examples you gave of people um, seizing opportunities. I, that uh, I think is such an important point that you make in the book. I think, and, and this is something that I, I hope the reader walks away with. I hope that they walk away with the fact that all of us have these qualities inside of us, maybe in different and varying levels, but all of us have the ability to have initiative. It's just what's driving you. You know, I, I the other day I was, I was talking with someone about, wow, you know, the state of the, younger workers in the United States and, um, you know, how maybe they don't have the same drive initiative, whatever. I, I don't necessarily find that to be true. They, they just have to be mm. shown what they're in control of. You know, mm. uh, when, when, when someone comes into my office, they have a lot of choices now. And when they come into my office for a job and they say, what's in it for me to work here? As, as a, as a, a hiring person or a manager or a boss or whatever you want to call it. Um, 20 years ago, you might have really like bristled at that statement. What's in it for me to work here? Well, now I kind of embrace that because what they're, what they're saying to you is, can I build my world working for you? Or can I build my world, the world I want working within this organization? And I'm okay with it. It's a great question. Yeah, it, it is because the more the more I get people like that involved in my company, the more my company is going to it's just going to propel itself forward on the energy of those people, where where I don't have to drag people along and say, "Come on, please work. Let's go. We got to let's go. We got to get this done." It, that that's kind of gone because now these people are empowered on their own energy to get what they want, working within your company to the point where they say. 
hey, Ken, thanks for the training. Now just get out of my way and let me do it. And that's that's a much better way for a company to operate, in my in my opinion. Yeah. Well, another one of the values that you talk about in the book are doing what you say you're going to do and doing it on time. And um, I have a friend who's a renovator, and he has a multi-year waiting list because he does exactly what you say. Uh, he's someone people can rely on. And I think something what that happens in the trades sometimes is that uh, people don't follow that. And there's a, um, what, what's your feeling about that in terms of a culture within the trades around that issue? Because it's something that I hear people talking about quite a bit when they have to call on that kind of service. And it's not always something people experience. Well, well, two things I have to say about that. Number one, if, if you show up on time and do what you say you're going to do, you're going to stand out head and shoulders above everybody else. Okay. <laughs> right. yeah. So yeah. let's just get that out of the way. The second thing is because of, I, I've said this many times now, because of that supply and demand problem, it gives contractors who aren't that great or aren't that um, timely or punctual, it gives them a lot of cover because there's nobody else for them to call. So um, until they get woken up a little bit to like, wow, you know, there's other people in this business besides me now. Um, there are other people opening up in the in this city and doing the same thing I'm doing. I, I need to get my act together from a quality standpoint, from a timely standpoint, from a, you know, being punctual and accurate and professional. So, you know, some of these contractors are, are being allowed to operate in less than um, – you know, the, the most punctual way because it's just the sheer volume of work that they have. And, and, and they're like, Hey, kind of a take it or leave it kind of thing, which again, uh, that that's, that's a precursor for amazing opportunities for somebody that wants to get involved in that. You know, I always say, look at, look at a, who the busiest is, or also look at who's not doing that particular skill and go that way. Because, you know, chances are that's where the opportunity is if 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 there's a, a, a void or a vacuum of supply. And, um, you know, I, I still believe in the simple things, a firm handshake, looking someone right in the eye, um, being on time, looking good, being professional, doing what you say you're going to do, doing it in a great way and communicating with the homeowners throughout that whole process. That will set you head and shoulders above anybody else that uh, might be in the same industry. Yeah, for sure. Well, something you talk about, you lay out a, a goal setting process in the book, which um, I think is really straightforward and, and uh, for people to follow. And I, I was particularly stuck by, struck by step three, which is build certainty. Can you, can you speak to that? Well, I, you know, I, I think I think once you once you've committed to doing anything, and I, I sometimes I use the smokers analogy because someone that I knew a long time ago um, decided that they were they weren't going to quit smoking until they told themselves, "I'm not a smoker anymore." Okay, or hmm. for someone who's unhealthy, um, they had to tell themselves, "I am not an unhealthy person anymore." And, and by the time they get to that point. There's a commitment, there's a change. And that's why I say first congratulate yourself and then clearly visualize what, what you want. But I, I think what most people 
I think where they fail is, you know, they come up with this new feeling and they come up with this new plan of what they want to do, but they don't ever create the actual certain steps to make it happen. I, I don't care. Um, I don't necessarily care when I hit some of these goals, as long as I do it for sure, if I'm committed to it. So I always talk about take an if goal, which is basically just a dream or a wish or a hope, and turn it into a when goal. And you can do that by taking whatever it might be, chopping it up into small pieces, and each one of those pieces now becomes a stepping stone or a, a part of the path that you're going to walk to get to that particular thing. And the, and the way to do it is by, I mean, if it's, if it's as simple as one of my gals wanted to go to um, see her family in, in Ireland, and she thought, man, if I could ever do that. And I said, no, it, it's not if, it's when. So we decided it was going to cost her a couple thousand dollars, and we decided that she could save $40 a week. And I said, okay. One year from today, you're going to Ireland to see your sister. And she looked at me like I just invented penicillin. <laughs> I said, it's, it's a simple process. And that's why when I talk about the five steps to achieving a goal, none of that stuff is rocket science. But where, where it is important is building a bulletproof goal where you, you can't fail. And, and um, if it means that much to you, you're going to make that happen. Yeah. Well, something you said in the book, and I'll just read the quote, and it is, I believe our purpose in life is to discover our true gifts and then find a way to use them to help others and make the world a better place. And that is so similar to my own definition of impact. I was I really jumped out of the page at me. So what do you feel is your impact? Well, you know, a, a long time ago when, when, um, uh, my daughter got sick. I, I was uh, I was having to do a lot of um, searching for ways to help her, and 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 uh, you know doctors and you know all, all the specialists and all that kind of stuff. And and I never forget this quote. Um, I needed the use of um, of an aircraft to get my daughter to, from where she was, which is a pretty remote camp in Michigan, to um, a hospital really quickly. And um, he, he, this this gentleman um, offered up his ability to go pick her up and bring her back to where we needed her to be. And I looked at him and he, he had tears in his eyes and he said, listen, to whom much is given, much is expected. Hmm. And I will never forget that quote. It still gives me chills to this day because here was a guy who said, you know, I, I'm going to find a way to give back to the community or give back to um, others in, in a way that's, that's impactful. And I think every one of us um, has the ability to do simple little things, which will help you really make yourself a whole person. And I'm talking about giving back, not, not just writing a check to somebody where you don't know where that money's going, you know, somewhere in some other country or whatever. Um, but putting yourself on the line a little bit. And, and uh, again, you know, something as simple as going to, and we just did this a couple of weeks ago, going to your local Ronald McDonald house and saying, hey, um, I'm, I'm going to come here today. I'm going to bake cookies for the kids or uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make lunch for the, for the parents who have to stay here while their kids are suffering. 
it's it's so easy it's so inexpensive anybody can do it and um you just have to find those little things because the more you do those little things the more you begin to think about bigger things that you can do with your life and and um and be involved in you know we do a lot with make a wish and we do a lot with um other other things uh local charities here where our staff gets physically involved not just financially involved and i think that's important Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of what you do, Ken, is really leadership. And I, I wonder, when you hear the term impactful leadership, what does that mean to you? Uh, I just, I look at it this way. I, I've always said this to my staff, and, and, and it's, if you ask them today, they'd say, yeah, we've heard this a hundred times, but <laughs> I, I always say that I can't get, nor can my company get to its mission, to what we need, to where we need to go until all of you get what you need first. Hmm. And, and I absolutely mean that because if, if I can surround myself with a bunch of people that I've helped direct to become self-sufficient, goal-oriented, um, visionaries, if I can surround myself with, with plenty of those people, I'm, I'm never going to have to worry about what the, company, um, what, what the company gets or what the company achieves. And, and I think when you talk about impactful leadership, it's it's not your ability to tell people how to do things. It's your ability to stand back and watch them do them those things for themselves under your direction, and um, and to create to create people that can go anywhere and and then and now control their own lives, um, being a little bit better for for your stewardship, if you will. Mm, that's great. What's it like working at your company? How would you describe the the culture, the working environment? We we spend a lot of time on something called creating cool, and cool is all kinds of things. Um, cool can mean music, it can mean celebrating birthdays, it can mean um, uh, weekly lunches in the office. But it gets beyond that, where we 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 have a, a huge um, black glass uh, board and it's kind of like one of those boards that you write with those super colorful neon markers on it Mm -hmm. um, that you see in front of a restaurant well this thing is our entire wall and we 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 have all of our uh, team members go to that board and they write their goals on that board and and they write them in a way where it's crystal clear i can walk up to any goal and go okay She's saving 50 bucks a week because she wants to do that in a year and a half. It started here and it's going to end 18 months from now. Okay, got it. And then we celebrate those wins. And, and I, I believe putting it on the board is the best way to, to tell the world, okay, I'm committed to doing this. It's kind of mm-hmm. like when you were younger. And um, I use this analogy of when you first jumped off the, uh, the high dive. Well, at, at your local pool, that you didn't get to that high dive without a lot of negotiation from your friends and a lot of encouragement. And, you know, as you're walking up the ladder, you're all nervous and you're walking down the board and it's springing under your feet and you're looking over at your buddies and they're like, you got this, go ahead and do it. And so that's what our company does. If you put a goal on the board, everybody else knows about it and uh, they, they support you and they share, um, that victory with you when you get it. And then the, the, the first thing you do is say, Oh, okay, now what's next? So we have a whole culture of, of, um, thanks Ken for the opportunity. Thanks for the vehicle that you call your company. Now just get out of my way and let me go do it. <laughs> That's great. 
Well, Ken, I always wrap up these interviews with uh, three questions about impact. And uh, are you ready for this rapid round? Sure. Great. The first question is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? I, I think I think how well it can be received by people. I think that the most pleasure I've had in in putting uh, impact into my company or my world is seeing the reaction of people go, wow, I'm not used to being cared about. That's great. The second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? I'm, I'm always chasing something. I, I, I have, uh, I started with goals that I could do a month out, three months out, six months out. Now I have goals that span one month to five years. And I probably have six or seven different things that I'm anticipating happening or chasing. And um, I, I really love to live a life of anticipation. It's like having several vacations all planned at the same time and you just can't wait to go and you start to feel like what it's going to be like to go to the ocean or ski down the mountain or play golf at this great place. So they're all different goals. Some of them are professional, some are personal, but um, I love living a life of constant anticipation. Mm, that's great. Well, the last question is, what's one, one insight or piece of advice you'd share with somebody who's saying, how can I positively affect things? How can I have impact? Uh, again, I, I say turn inward, see what you care about, and then, and then go out into the world and find opportunities to make that happen. There, there are so many places that you can put your time, you can put your skills, even if it's an hour a week or an hour a month or what, whatever it is, start small. Uh, you will grow so wholly as a person if you start to get involved and do some of these things. And, and just know that whether it's said or not, um, just know that the, the world is a better place when you contribute to it. Because uh, you, you don't do it for this reason, and I would never advocate, you know, giving something away because you hope to get something back. It just seems to be this unwritten rule or this, this, this powerful force out there that the more you give, the more it seems to come around and support you uh, in the end there. Mm. Well, Ken, thank you so much for sharing some of your story and, and aspects of the book. Um, I, this whole uh, perspective of looking at the, the blue collar world as a really valid and um, in, in many ways um, more appealing realm for people to find work is, uh, is really a great one. And I thank you for talking about that here today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, obviously if somebody wants to pick up the book, it comes out on July 28th and you can go to KenRusk.com and look for it there or, you can follow me on Ken Rusk Official on Facebook where you can see kind of what we're up to there from an educational standpoint. And um, um, again, I really thank you for your time and, and the, it's, it's been an, an honor to be on your show. Well, it's been my pleasure and you, you anticipated my last couple of questions, so that was perfect. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. And thank you, Ken, so much for the work you're doing in the world. You got it. And you as well. Before you go... Don't forget to register for the Fierce Women Forum so you can grow as a leader and have more impact with your business. Go to workalchemy.com forward slash 
FWF, as in Fierce Women Forum, to learn more and to register. Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at WorkAlchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.